0: On this episode of Progressive Palaver, I discuss why I no longer support Roger Waters. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this very unusual and solo Progressive Palaver, I discuss the reasons why I've decided I can no longer support Roger Waters. Hi, everybody! This is a really weird sort of um, palaver episode to do, and I'm not even sure if I can pull it off, but I've thought about this a lot recently and figured I would give it a go. And there's kind of a lot going on here, and so I figured there might be enough to make this interesting and worthwhile. And there's an off chance that I can do this in a way that doesn't come off as just vitriolic and snarky. So, for longtime listeners of the palaver, you will know that um, I personally have had a very sort of difficult relationship with Roger Waters. Um, over the years that we've been doing this palaver up until then honestly um, I, I never really gave him much consideration at all. I have tried on the palaver and sometimes I have failed but generally speaking we as a group try to be as positive and you know factual as we can and and not just lambast people for the sake of lambasting people. I have had a couple of moments with Roger Waters, some that have made it on air and quite a few that have not. For that very reason, I, you know, during the editing phase, I felt that they were simply not appropriate. And so I did not include them. Obviously growing up in the greater Philadelphia area, and we've told these stories before, between the two um, rock stations, WMMR and WYSP in Philadelphia in, you know, the early, mid to late eighties, you know, you couldn't, it was impossible to not know about Pink Floyd. We knew obviously about the movie, The Wall. We knew, you know, the songs from The Wall. We knew the songs from Dark Side of the Moon. It, It was honestly, you know, right around when I was, 14 15 16 something like that is when I really started to get into it and and I want to say I probably probably um, I probably started with a momentary lapse of reason I remember I remember having that L vinyl LP I still have it actually the the exact same copy from back in the day and I remember st- you know, I would spend countless hours in my basement listening to whatever records I had. And my collection was was much smaller back in those days. And I would, you know, do my homework or throw darts or do whatever it was that I would do down there. And I remember listening to A Momentary Lapse of Reason quite a bit. And, you know, to me, it seemed very much on par with what I thought Pink Floyd was. Cool. You know, it, it made a certain amount of sense. Now, this is a little muddled up because, you know, there's some overlapping things and I probably don't have the the order correctly, but but somewhere around that time is, you know, it came out in 87, so I probably had it, you know, very soon thereafter. Um, and this was about the time that I and and the guys here at the Palaver were in in various ways and in various um, tempos discovering the true depth of progressive music, whether that be the Yes catalog or Genesis or Pink Floyd. You know, but a momentary lapse of reason on the surface sounded a lot like the Pink Floyd that I knew from the radio. It had David Gilmore's guitar, which is, you know, very distinctive, and it had David Gilmour singing, which makes, you know, it, it sort of tracked for me. A guy I worked with um, knew a little bit more about Pink Floyd. And, and he was the first one to sort of tell me about the final cut. And I was fixated on this. What's this final cut thing? And I remember getting my hands on, on a copy of that. And, you know, obviously it is much more Roger Waters than any other Pink Floyd record in terms of not only the fact that Roger sings most of it, but it has much more of a Roger Waters feel overall, but I liked it. I still like it to this day. I think The Final Cut is, is a very fine album. I think it's, it's not something that you can just sort of casually pick up and listen to and enjoy. I think you have to be in a certain frame of mind to enjoy that record, but I do very much appreciate that record and I appreciate sort of the intimacy of that record. And, you know, the other the other sort of the legacy aspect to Pink Floyd was, as I discovered it, you know, one of the things that I became fixated on was Wish You Were Here, and so I very deliberately identified the album Wish You Were Here as being the first CD I would ever purchase. It was, in fact, the first CD I ever purchased. And again, I still have that CD um, to this day. So, you know, that was sort of my introduction and discovery of the greater Pink Floyd catalog. Now, I saw I saw David Gilmour's Pink Floyd. Uh, I don't think I saw them on the Momentary Lapse of Reason tour, but I do know that I saw them at least once uh, for the Division Bell tour, and at least one of those was here in texas at um the former texas stadium and i followed you know david's output and very much enjoyed it um you know the live albums pulse and Delicate sound of thunder all of that you know it just i i I used to joke that, you know, in the divorce, David Gilmore got custody of me and Roger Waters had had visiting rights. And and that was that was true. But I never really I knew that there was animosity between David and Roger, but I never really honestly gave it much of a thought for a very, very, very long time. And, you know, then I got into the The phase of my life where music perhaps took a back seat as I was working on, you know, building a family and building my career and, you know, doing all of the things that you do sort of in your late 20s and and into your 30s. You know, around about the time that we started The Palaver, you know, it was nice to sort of go back and start to rediscover a lot of the music that I had really loved so much when i was younger and you know through the palaver be able to start experiencing these things in a different way and to reconnect with the guys here on the podcast and and all of the wonderful things that that go with that and so part of all of this now now again up and you know through this period um roger had released several albums i had known about the pros and cons of hitchhiking but to be perfectly frank with you i had never listened to it i had purchased radio chaos when it came out so radio chaos also came out in in 1987 and for me radio chaos just didn't really stand up to momentary lapse of reasons so that's why i didn't really worry about it it was just like all right cool so we fast forward a really, really long time to July of 2017. Roger Waters played at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, and I had arranged um, to buy tickets. And so the, the woman I was seeing at the time, who had no vested interest at all in Pink Floyd or Roger Waters, I brought her along and ended up getting a friend of mine and his wife to come along with us. And it was the Us and Them tour. And and I went in not honestly not knowing how politically active Roger Waters still was. I was in a relative innocent at that point. And we ended up, you know, having really good seats for most of that show and uh it was it was eye opening um his band was phenomenal and and Roger did and said a couple of things that were kind of like i was i was honestly not offended directly i was more amazed that he had the the huge brass balls to say and do and project those things in Texas. Like, to me, that was like, all right, so much for know your audience type thing. But everyone who was there seemed to respond appropriately, and so life was good. A mammoth, mammoth set. Um, Breathe, one of these days, time, um, the great gig in the sky, Welcome to the Machine, When We Were Young, Deja Vu, The Last Refugee, Picture That, Wish You Were Here, the happiest days of our lives another brick part two another brick part three dogs pigs money us and them smell the roses brain damage eclipse Vera bring the boys back home and comfortably numb now the thing that I remember most vividly about the end of the show um, and I believe it was during comfortably numb because at for the second stay the second set, Um, there was a whole bunch of sort of stuff up above and, you know, the view to the stage was somewhat obscured. But by the end of it all, they literally recreated the cover of Dark Side of the Moon around the stage with lights. So you had, you know, white lights somehow forming the pyramid and then, um, you know, presumably tunable lasers doing the doing the Spectrum. It was, it was phenomenal. I remember it very, very well. And I had bought super deluxe VIP um, seats for that show. And so a couple of days before the show, these four very large boxes got delivered to my house that had these great lithographs, as well as a laminated, you know, ticket. And, and there, was, there was a coffee mug that to this day is probably one of the best coffee mugs i've ever seen in my life it's so so good and honestly it was it was those lithographs from roger waters and there were there were three different prints that was the start of what became my palaver wall now i have i actually have two palaver walls Um, Right now, one at the Southern House and one at the Northern House. And they each contain, you know, two or three of these Roger Waters prints. And what really got me um, thinking about this is because of recent events, I, I feel like I have to take those down. And they were the start of the Palaver Wall. But at this point, I feel so put out by Roger's antics that, you know, I can't, I I don't want to have them on my wall. Okay, cool. But at the time in 2017, it was, it was great. Roger was, you know, I was, I was kind of amused by, by Roger's sort of curmudgeoniness. And as the palaver sort of, you know, ramped up and as we got moving closer doing the Pink Floyd segments, you know, we started to pay attention to Roger more. And, and, you know, as we went through that segment and we learned some of the lore and you started to sort of see some of the things that I always suspected. And, you know, I was always, I, I sort of landed, I, I went through a lot of different feelings between roger and david um because it's you know as extreme said there are three sides to every story yours mine and and the truth um and i suspected you know that there was probably intention wise maybe a lot of similarities between roger and david in that i think that on on a lot of levels they probably both wanted and desired the same things But Roger, in my uh, estimation, never, he he couldn't express himself in a palatable way. He, He just, he always took the most aggressive path he possibly could on any subject. And he seemed to have this, this, Projection, and this is really what started to get me because I, I, you know, uh, Ken from the Palaver really worked hard, and and I always admire Ken with his open mindedness and willing to look at both sides of of any given um, story. And, and so Ken tried to get me to listen to some of these, you know, Roger Waters interviews and, and understand what what was sort of motivating Roger. And, and I tried. I honestly tried. But what I came away with is the fact that, you know, Roger seems to be, based on what I've listened to him say, of the opinion that Roger Waters is right. And while he dis- he says he's interested in, in an open discourse, what I have heard is if you don't agree with him, you're wrong. Period. There's no room in Roger Waters' world for Roger Waters to be wrong about something. Because Roger apparently just knows enough that, you know, whatever, whatever decision he has made on a subject is where things are. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and, and I certainly don't agree with the way that Roger presents himself often um and and from time to time Roger would pop up on various things and just you know make a butt of himself and then of course the pandemic hit and everyone was stuck in their house and everything sort of became a big thing on social media and there was there was a, a little bit of a dust up now during this time right there seemed to be some level of of détente between between Roger and David and you know when i was watching uh, i forget what exactly it was it was a documentary on something but at some point there was there were rehearsals going on with pink floyd and roger waters who were were in you know rehearsal spaces right next to each other and there was a meeting and it was very very awkward um there was no other way to describe it it was just it was awkward But it was there. Cool. That's great. Um, Not a big thing. And and then during the pandemic, I remember specifically, Roger had a couple of tirades. And at some point, he got a bee in his bonnet because he wanted to have access to the Pink Floyd social medias. Because they had much larger followings than he did. And... David wisely said, no, that's all right. Now, that's that didn't stop David from, you know, um, posting Roger Waters, you know, Pink Floyd content, things that were, you know, sort of in the official Pink Floyd, Floyd purview. Um, certainly he was willing to, to post that. And I think, you know, that should have been enough. But Roger, you know, took to uh, took to social media and just, you know, was lambasting how unfair this was and, and and everything else. Now, at the same time, you know, around about this time, um, whenever it was that Pink Floyd released their uh, one of their super-duper, you know, redo box sets thing, there was a podcast that came out, which basically was a series of of Four interviews with, with David and some other folks, you know, sort of around the history. And in the first episode of that podcast, David describes the, the sort of the situation with Roger suing him while they're recording a momentary lapse of reason. And, you know, that sounds kind of crazy. And, you know, again, David describes it in rather genteel terms, um, very rational and in a way that I can sort of relate to. And so I was already kind of building up to Roger was doing things that just were not sitting well with me in this same time frame, in the pandemic timeframe, you know, before I had become sort of exasperated with Roger, he had planned the, this is not a drill tour in the fall of 2020, and I had had such a positive experience at the Us and Them show in 2017 that I bought tickets. Now, in the meantime, you know, through the palaver, I've I've listened to the Roger Waters back catalog. I've watched, um, you know, video performances, gotten a couple live records, we, we talked about Roger's performance of The Wall um, as, as a solo venture. And so I had seen a lot of Roger Waters. And, and what I came to realize was that I didn't really care for the way Roger did a lot of these songs. But I was like, you know what? The 2017 show was phenomenal. So that's going to be really cool. And and so, you know, I'll just go and it'll be great. But, of course, the pandemic came and the show was postponed a year and then another year. And so it was October of 2022, at this point, just a few months ago, when I got to see that show. And so I took my daughter. We had seats very well positioned. It was in the round. We never did on the palaver. A special concert series on this and the reason we never did was because I did not feel that I could review that concert in a way that was consistent with how I previously described wanting the palaver to be run. Um, I did not enjoy the show. I was actively angry at Roger and it started from the very very beginning. So for those of you who, well, if you've seen it or you didn't see it, I'll try to describe. The stage was uh, a center, in the center of the arena, sort of a, a, a middle cross. So there was a long axis and a short axis. And on most of the stage at the start of the show was essentially a very large box um, in the shape of a cross. And so each of the sides whether it be a long side or a short side um were also video screens and so there was you know it was funny they would they would um you know put up you know 15 minutes until show start 10 minutes until the show starts and then um at the opening it says you know the show's about to start but first there are two public announcements the first is or firstly You know, please put away your cell phones. Now, those of you who know, I'm not one to, you know, record an entire concert, but for the palaver, I do like to have my phone out and, you know, recording. I usually don't even hold it up. It's just normally sitting, you know, down near my thigh just to get recordings for the podcast. And so I was like, all right, well, you know what, Roger? Now I feel obligated to keep my phone out just because you're such a dickhead. But the second one is what really got me. So keep in mind, he's not even on the stage yet. And the second one says, if you're one of those, quote, I love Pink Floyd, but I can't stand Roger's politics people. It went on to say, you might do well to fuck off to the bar right now. And I found that to be just insanely offensive. So even before the band plays a single note, Rogers basically giving the middle finger to everybody. And so immediately after that announcement, the, the band opens up with a completely reworked Comfortably Numb. And, you know, I'll be honest. It's It was super, super cool. It was very different. It was very intense. A lot of thunder type noise. Um, and the visuals that went with it were really quite striking. And I was like, wow, that's really great. But then they went into the happiest days of our lives, another Brick in the Wall part two and three, um, a couple of solo songs, and then Have a Cigar, um, which we'll get to Um, wish you were here, and shine on you crazy diamond. Now, the problem is that through the first part of that set, like, I understand wanting to rework Comfortably Numb. Cool. I get it. But it seemed to me through the first part of that set that a lot of the... And I'm projecting myself onto the situation, and this may not actually be the case, but the feeling that I got, seeing as how I was already pissed off, was that Roger was doing, Roger directed the band to basically expunge as much of David Gilmore's personality from these songs as possible. You know, he, that was the impression that I got. I don't know if that's the case. I didn't talk to Roger Waters. I'm not saying I talked to Roger Waters, but that was the feeling that I got and it, it struck me as odd because it was quite prevalent. Now, by the end, um, I, as I seem to recall in the second set, Dave Kilminster was, was more representative, if you will, of, of what David did. Um, and not necessarily solos, but just guitar parts in general. And so, you know, who knows, but, The fact of the matter is that show left a horrible, horrible taste in my mouth. And um, I just, I didn't, I didn't care for it. Like have a cigar or wish you were here. Roger tried to sort of, it seemed to me based on what I have seen in terms of documentaries and, and interviews previously Roger seemed to try to retcon the whole Sid Barrett story into a Roger and Sid versus the world isn't this tragic sort of thing? And you know, that's not consistent with what I've seen presented. So there was there were a lot of things that that just did not sit well with me about that show. And at the time, I was quite passionate about it. Um, we did discuss it one recording, one episode off air, um, and and I explained to the guys why I couldn't talk about it, and, and it was it was pretty heated. Okay, fine. Roger can do what he wants to do with his shows, and I just won't go see Roger's shows anymore. That's easy, right? And so recently, in the last week or so, um, was forwarded an, an article. Um, a link by one of the guys in the palaver where it was announced that Roger has or was, had re-recorded Dark Side of the Moon and was releasing it for the anniversary. Okay. That's fine. You know, Roger wrote the vast majority of, of, you know, the tracks on that record. Great. You have every right to re-record it, reinterpret it. You do what you want to do. I'm not going to argue with that. That's fine. I may like it. I may not like it. I don't care. And you may say, you know what? I felt this was the best way for me to, you know, I've been playing these songs for a long time and I thought to celebrate the anniversary, you know, I would, I would do this. But Roger didn't do that. Roger instead, and I don't have direct quotes um, from this, but I'll, I'll paraphrase, where he basically just, you know, said, look, I wrote all those songs. The rest of the guys didn't do shit on that record. They don't know anything about Pink Floyd music. And so I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Now, that's not necessary. Make your music. Release it. Shut the fuck up. Like, the idea of personally attacking former bandmates who, you know, won the rights to the name of, of the group, I'm sorry, Roger, but get over it. That's life in the big city, you know? So... You know, all of this has just sort of been building up and building up and building up. And so, you know, that's why I'm no longer going to support Roger Waters. And I'm trying to figure out what I can put in those frames so that I can remove him from the palaver wall. Because I don't think he deserves it. I will keep the coffee mugs um, because they're, they're too useful to not, but I just I have no no need. I don't know. Maybe I'll keep it up because the 2017 show was really good. Um but I, I just I don't have space in my life for that kind of negative energy. And every time I see, hear, or read about something from Roger, it's nothing but negative energy. I'm not saying his, his politics are bad. I'm not saying his opinions are bad. I don't personally need in my life that kind of negative energy. And that is all I ever feel from Roger Waters. Whereas David Gilmore gives me the exact opposite. You know, David Gilmore does some shit that's like, eh, yeah you know, whatever, but he always makes me feel good. He can make me think the same things, but I don't feel like punching someone in the face when I'm done with it. And so, you know, as a consumer um, and as a podcaster, it is my right to, you know, write off Roger. So Roger, you know, thanks for all the great music that you provided throughout the earlier parts of the Pink Floyd catalog. And thank you for a very positive experience in 2017, but that's it. I can't, I can't be on the journey with you anymore. So, you know, and again, this is, this is my feeling. And I was just kind of curious to see if I could, if I could make something out of this that was listenable and rational, and, you know, if if you guys feel that I'm way off base, you know, by all means, let me know as long as you can do it in a, you know, positive, constructive manner. Um, you know, I'm always willing to entertain different things, but I'm just trying to sort of share my feeling right now and how I feel um, about this. So, you know, there you go. Again, Welcome your feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at Progpala on all of those. Um, You can search for Progressive Palaver. Welcome to email us. Our email is Progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud.